Hey, thanks, Audrey and Dan and Connor and Mika there for bringing us that reading this morning. I, I thought you, I thought Audrey, you'd do a good job of dealing with all those tricky names and places in there. So great to see your faces this morning, and thanks for bringing us our reading. Hey, uh, we might pray, and then we're going to jump into this passage today. Loving God, we thank you uh, this morning that we can gather like this. Uh, our little thing is one church in many homes and that we have this capacity to to bring a service into our homes via all this tech that we have. We thank you uh, for the people that we have that when it, when it falls over, they can mend it and bring it back to life again and uh, we can get on the road again. Uh, this morning as we dive uh, into your word and look at this passage and, and roll through it, uh, would your spirit uh, speak to us? where it needs to speak to us would we be convicted where we need to be convicted encouraged uh where we need to be encouraged that um that we would understand uh what it is to be saved and what it means to actually participate in salvation and we give you thanks uh, for this gospel that luke has put together this morning we pray these things in jesus name amen well um you know we've been working our way uh, through this Gospel of Luke now, uh, well, at least for the first uh, few chapters anyway. Um, and these first few chapters have been looking at uh, the origin of Jesus, his birth and his purpose, uh, who he is, who is Jesus, and, and what did he um, come to do. And in these first few chapters, Luke explains to us how God's plan of salvation literally, uh, in, in, a, in the most miraculous and unexpected way, comes to life. How all the promises of God to his people to bring uh, salvation uh, from their human experience has now entered into these experiences. God has entered into the human predicament to bring uh, salvation uh, to their postcode, to their doorstep, and, and to their hearts, is what Luke is revealing to us. And what we see is that God has said to us, He's not said to us, actually, you know, you, you go and work it out for yourselves. You go and work your way towards me. You come and earn my favor. You made this mess. Now you guys have got to fix it and, and come toward me. That's the kind of narrative that we would see in, in, our, in, our, in our cinemas, like movies like Marvel and that tell us we've, we've made this mess and we've got to fix it and move our way towards it. But that's not how God has rolled. God has not said either that I'm too holy uh, to be associated with this mess. You know, you're on your own. Now God has moved towards us in real terms, in relational terms. He has come personally, uh, but not to show us uh, how to earn our salvation, not to give us a new list of rules, a new set of um, principles to live by, but it's come to be our salvation. That's what we're learning here, that Jesus has come to be our salvation uh, for us. And Luke has been showing us how Jesus qualifies to be that salvation. Uh, he qualifies with respect to biblical uh, promise and ex expectations. He qualifies with respect to his humanity and his divinity, uh, this mysterious union. And Luke writes to his readers so, so that they can know, so that in turn you and I uh, can know, can have this uh, rock-solid, objective, uh, unalterable sort of factuality about our salvation, that it is actually found in the person of Jesus. And today what we're going to see and what we're going to learn is, is that this salvation is not merely uh, something that we will get in some afterlife uh, destination, off in the distant future, um, but that it, it makes you part of a new functional humanity. 
that has present implications, not merely eternal uh, implications. Salvation, that that salvation in Jesus has entered into the world and it's going to change the world. But bringing about radical heart change in people that leads to change lives, it leads to the joy of people. Sandy's been talking about how, how our light shines, how light comes and shines in the darkness. And that's what Jesus has done. And then he, he brings that to individual lives so that they begin to shine light in the darkness and culture is moved and society is changed. Uh, and it speaks to the glory of God to be the true healer of the human condition, to bring light into darkness. You know, you don't need the Avengers. We have a God who is coming to us and doing this in very real terms. And who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want a world where, where justice uh, becomes a reality? Who doesn't want a world that's devoid of things like racism, corruption, that's, that will be devoid of things like viruses, like salvation? That, that God is talking about is the healing of all things. Everybody longs for this kind of salvation. That's the, that's the kind of salvation that the Bible is talking about. That's the kind of salvation that the Bible has in mind. It's the reversal of sin. It's the, it's the healing and the reversing of all this brokenness. And ultimately, it'll be the total eradication of sin. And Luke Wright says that we can know that we have actually encountered it. Luke writes so that we can know what the reality of it looks like, feels like in our lives. But he also writes in part to warn us of the possibility that we can miss this, that we can miss this offer of salvation because we aren't prepared to receive it. It's not because we're not privy to it. It's, it's not because uh, we haven't somehow, you know, qualified for it but because our hearts are not prepared for it it will be the prepared heart that actually experiences salvation the heart that is prepared to make the necessary admissions are prepared and willing to see its need of salvation prepared to undergo transformation and it's to this end that John the Baptist comes to prepare hearts to be prepared to change, to be prepared for the kind of salvation that is coming in order to encounter this salvation, in order to be ready for Jesus who brings it into the world. Nothing less than total surrender of your heart will do. That is the kind of message that John the Baptist was communicating. And Luke though as he as he as he writes this up continues to demonstrate how god's salvation um in context enters into the context of human history and fulfills uh biblical promises as well and luke does that in this chapter by giving us no less than six uh historical figures here and also he combines that with this touchstone promise of God that's found in Isaiah 40 about the comfort of salvation for people uh, who, who are, who are um, you know, suffering under abuse and oppression and bondage. Luke tells us uh, there in chapter 3 that in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, of Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being the tetriarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip is the tetriarch of the reason of Iturea and Trachonitis. Licinius was the tetriarch of Abilene. During the reign of the priesthood of Annas and, and Caiaphas, in this historical setting, 
in these historical figures, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. It's a formal style of writing that tells you how the events of, of John the Baptist in relation to the coming ministry of Jesus are just as real as the events that are attached to this list of names that he's placed there. Commentators note that only a historian uh, would write like this, a man of an orderly mind, uh, giving the names of the officials uh, of the country that were in place uh, at this particular time. It's the kind of accuracy that's only possible uh, to one writing from the actual time that they're describing. Revealing that Luke's narrative could be tested by his contemporaries, by those who were still alive at the time, and revealing that it can be tested by comparative uh, historic narratives that have been written down. But Luke also piles these names up for another reason. Anyone familiar with this list of names would know that this is a list of infamy. This is a list of corruption and abuse of power, of of systemic nepotism and pride and violence and and self-indulgence. This list of names is of of the worst kind of rulers of people going around. And note that it's not just a list of political and Roman rulers, but there's two two priests that are are named in these figures. And their conduct is seen as no different uh, to the oppression of the Roman rulers. N.T. Wright says that these names represent a system of misery and oppression that was building to a boiling point of, of, of civil unrest and it's into this darkness that the word of God comes, that the light of God, that, that's, that the message of salvation comes. For centuries God has been silent. Now into this dark and de- degenerate time, God once again begins to speak to his people. And this phrase, the word of God uh, came, is a classic Old Testament language to introduce a prophet. And it lets us know, it indicates that John is a, is a true prophet of God, that he speaks the will of God uh, to the people. And that his role in this world will be to announce what God is now doing in relationship uh, to his people and his promises in this context. That God is not. Uh, you know, indifference, that his silence has not meant that he's unaware, that he's indifferent to their condition. Right at this moment, when people seemed powerless against this systemic evil, uh, this sanctioned corruption, uh, even religious immorality, the word of God came, came to bring salvation. Uh, this is the, the tender mercy of God uh, that Zechariah spoke of back in chapter 1. You know, the, the tender mercy of God whereby the sun shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness, in the shadow of death, to guide their way to the feet of peace, or to guide their feet to the way of peace. That, that's what's going on here. God, uh, through John, is challenging people to recognize that their lives are really jacked up, are really messed up, that that this living in rebellion to God, God's design, is actually led to human suffering, that their lives are lived in rebellion to God and mistrust of God also uh, puts them in line for judgment, and they need to change, they need to repent from this. John is stomping around Palestine in his crazy outfit of, of um, a camel hair. He's kind of got a sort of Ned Kelly meets Dyson Heppel, at least before he shaved his head, sort of haircut happening. And, and, and he's, 
he's calling out and saying that God is about to bring salvation. He's about to bring salvation to this broken and corrupt generation. It's a call for repentance, to exchange the judgment that is due this nation for the salvation that is coming, that is on offer for forgiveness and repentance of sins. And this falls in line and fulfills the prophecies made about John. Uh, the announcement of the angel uh, who said that John will be filled with the Holy Spirit and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will make ready for the Lord a prepared people. Then there's the Spirit-inspired words of, of John's own father, Zechariah. You, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. You know, when John started preaching like this, a message of need for repentance and forgiveness of sins, uh, that, 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 that's, that's spoken of being symbolically uh, recognized by people through this baptism, John stepped into this role that God had brought him into the world for, that, that all his promises about him had, had sort of foreseen. John stepped into that role that had been proclaimed about his birth. But both Luke and Matthew uh, see that John's ministry is actually got deeper connections. It's connected to more ancient uh, prophecies, namely one that's written in the book of Isaiah. And no doubt they make this connection because of John's sort of uncompromising message of what needs to happen to a person in order to be ready, to be prepared for the coming of this Messiah the, you know, the, and, and the accompanying salvation that he's going to bring with him. Uh, Luke writes, As it is written uh, in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, and every valley shall be filled, and every mountain shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. You know, Isaiah was using imagery of a well-known practice in the ancient world, whereby a king... Uh, who was arriving at a city, when, when they arrived at a city, before they arrived at a city, the citizens of that city would, would go out and, and they'd, they'd fix up the roadways uh, leading into that city, filling in the potholes and, and dressing it up, a little you know sort of welcome banner there uh, for the king as he was coming, in order so that that king could arrive with the kind of pomp and the kind, and the kind of honor that was due to them. And in order for that to happen, to make sure that that would happen, that they could arrive with the appropriate fanfare, they would send a messenger ahead to let them know, hey, we're going to be there on the, you know, the 18th of July and, and make sure the road's in good nick. Isaiah used this imagery of this custom and he turned it into a prophecy about what would take place when God's promised Messiah arrived to bring comfort, uh, healing and salvation to, to a people, to a people living in this dark environment under abuse and corruption and oppression. But the scale of works that Isaiah envisages is also fitting for the kind of preparation that will be needed to receive this kind of king. And, and the scale of works that Isaiah speaks about, they're, they're kind of seismic in, 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 in their effect. It's not going to be like a few potholes that are filled in and, and a little welcome banner that's put up. 
we read here that creation itself bows, that creation reorganizes itself in recognition, in preparation for the coming of this king. Mountains are leveled, valleys are raised up in preparation for the Savior that God is sending into the world. However, as we read through this passage, we realize that the environment that this scale of work is going to take place in uh, is not some neglected roadway into a city, but the environment that this work is taking place in is, is actually the disordered networks of our hearts. Preparing the way for the Lord is found in a heart that is prepared to see its own Ugliness to see its own crooked and rough places, uh, which is which is language there. You know the crooked and rough places, which is language that actually describes uh, the fraudulent activities, the deceitfulness of things. In this passage, John is not preaching. He's not saying, you know, you need to fix your roads. You need to mend your environments. What he's actually saying is, you need to fix and mend your hearts. That's why he says repentance. That's why he's talking about repentance. He's not talking about external environments. He's talking about internal ones. Repentance is a word which means to change your way of life from a deep place. Many people were waiting for a Messiah that would come and fix external environments, environments that they were living in. That Messiah that would come and get rid of the Romans and the Caesars and the Herods and the Pilots who would come and you know, fix these externally corrupt systems. But what John is talking about is that the preparation that needs to take place is for the restoration of the internal environments. God is actually after your heart. He wants to deal with the spiritual condition of people, uh, the sin that, that, that binds us all, that, that's within all of us. Repentance of the soul uh, is the leveling that, that the heart must have take place, the leveling that must take place in the heart for it to be prepared to be able to experience salvation. Uh, there must be a, a shift in internal environments uh, from broken and crooked ways to, to, to level ways, which are ways of fairness and righteousness, which is what salvation is. Such an internal change uh, is borne witness uh, by the common practice of baptism. You know, if, if you're prepared to do that, then, then yeah, yeah, you symbolically recognize through, through baptism, which, which stood for identifying with a new practice, a new way of life. The Jews would bring Gentiles into their religious rites and practices through baptism. But John is saying here, John widens the spectrum. He says, not merely the Gentiles who, who need to recognize their sinfulness. It's, it's you Jews as well. It's you religiously uh, secure people. Isaiah envisages and John is communicating that salvation is about your heart, uh, not your heritage and not your religious activity. It is on offer to all those who would humble themselves, have their heart leveled. John's baptism recognizes this approach to the coming salvation. And as John proclaims this message, there's two kinds of people who want in. To this, there's two kinds of people who respond. First, there's the phonies, the hypocrites, the, the vipers that John calls them. They want or they feel entitled to the benefits of salvation, but they don't feel the need to change the environment of their heart. They want approved status with God, 
but they are not prepared to recognize their need of change in their heart. They are not prepared to see their need of forgiveness. And any repentance that, that this group of people make is just superficial, just kind of camouflage that allows them to re- remain the same. They want God to forgive their sins, but they weren't at all interested in giving up these sins. They missed the purpose of John's preaching. They are not prepared to wrestle with its implications. They want conviction-free, ease-of-application salvation. So they arrive to get baptized, thinking that the water, the ceremony, uh, their pedigree are the things that will qualify them for forgiveness. But this is not the case, and this never will be the case. Salvation comes to those whose hearts are prepared to see their need for a saviour, who will come and who will deal with their recognized brokenness, with their recognized crookedness of their hearts. You know, this is the gospel, is it not? That, that we are far more wicked than we would ever dare admit. And at the same time, at the very same time, we are far more loved than we ever dare dream. Be prepared for a Savior who's going to see you at your worst, who's going to out you at your worst, but sees past all these camouflages that we, that we put on and wants to deal with our hearts, wants to change those hearts, make them level. Make them new. John's baptism was not for salvation itself, and no ritual of baptism is, but operated as a declaration of preparedness for one who would uh, bring a soul-transforming salvation, not merely an environmental and external one. John has strong words for people who approached uh, you know, this idea of salvation with insincere hearts. You need to have a good think about things. You need to be able to bear fruit uh, that demonstrates deep heart change, that, 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 that shows sorrow for sin, that, that, that shows a desire for fairness, for righteousness of practice, or your judgment will be in line with your heart's condition. It will sever you off. It will cut you from God's salvation like an axe kind of cuts a tree off from its source of life. John's message is clear. You cannot rely on your goodness, your religious connections. You know, you cannot rely on coming from a a Christian family. That will not save you, nor will belonging to a particular denomination. It's not enough to be in the right family or the right church. You need to have a right relationship with God. We are not saved by who we are, but but by who God is. And what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. John is preparing people for that reality. John is preparing people for the fact that God saves people through Jesus. And I guess that's the question. What kind of sinner are you? Are you one who thinks uh, they can camouflage their sin from God? The kind of sinner who's just waiting for an axe. Or one who asks, as this other group asks, well, what shall we do? One who is prepared to undergo the kind of deep heart change that Jesus uh, is going to place on the table. That's the second group of people here. They have been convicted of their sins. They have come to a place where they recognize their desperate need for, for external salvation, for salvation to come to them. And they ask this question, okay, so what shall we do about this? And John gives... Uh, three practical evidences of what it will look like when salvation comes to your heart. 
Are you prepared to have your whole world turned upside down? Right relationship with God looks like reordered priorities. The deep joy of forgiveness, of, of, of peace and security experience will mean a shift from, from selfish self-entitlement to generous living, to, to community responsibility. The kind of salvation God intends to unleash on the human heart is not some individually confined one, but one that has social implications, one that has communal expectations. Repentance, forgiveness, a salvation will lead to a world of justice, will lead to renewed communities. John's response is to basically say, be prepared for this. This is what you must be prepared to do. Be prepared to do justice. Be prepared to love mercy. Be prepared to walk humbly before God. That's what repentance is. You actually will do nothing, really. Salvation is going to come and it's going to rearrange the motives of your heart and then they're going to fall in line with God's will. And Luke records three case studies of this, three types of people that John speaks to. And no doubt there were more people uh, than, than just these three. But these three kind of epitomize the reversal of ethics, uh, the transforming of relationships that Luke sees as the DNA, that the symptoms of salvation, of what, of what this Messiah is going to bring into the lives of people. And interestingly, all three of these uh, are to do with money, are to do with resources and relationships and the shifting and the reversal and the transformation of them. And all three of these people are actually not told to, to change their vocations, but rather to change how they approach their vocations. It's about your heart. Firstly, there's a private citizen. They are to be prepared to be generous with their resources, to share with those who are in need. If you have two tunics, don't hoard them. Give one away. If you have plenty of food, don't hoard it. Give some away. Don't be stingy. Don't be enslaved to greed. Exercise the grace of generosity. That's what salvation is going to look like. That's what you've got to be prepared to do. You, you public servants, you tax collectors, stop exploiting people. Don't, don't make policies that deprive and disadvantage people. Don't, don't make more than what is proper. Do your job justly. Do your job fairly. That's what salvation looks like when it comes into your life. You, you Roman soldier, you modern equivalent of that might be a police officer, someone who has a position of power over people. Don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Don't treat people with a bias due to skin color or socioeconomic background. That's what salvation is going to look like. This is what you must be prepared for your heart to come and experience. Salvation is not merely some promised destination, you know, like heaven. Salvation will be a, a, a seismic reordering of your heart to live with radically new relational ways. To live in a new relationship with God that will allow you to live in a new relationship with others. John is warning uh, us here that we can actually miss this. And, and if we do, we will face God's judgment. We'll be judged for how our, our sinful heart is. But the good news is 
That's why Jesus came into the world, to change the condition of our heart, to take a repentant heart and flood it with forgiveness based on its trust that, that Jesus has actually been the one to feel the acts of judgment that we deserved. A heart that realizes its need for salvation, you know, at that, at that moment is terrified. But that terror is quickly swept away by grace in the knowledge that Jesus has actually faced the terror for us, has faced our judgment for us, that Jesus died for our sins in our place. That's, that, we are, that, that we now, because of that, are free to, to repent, to live radically new lives that, that model the grace that God has shown to us in Jesus. Our lives then become this overflow of experience. What should we do? In response to this salvation then. Or we should live radically new lives of justice, of mercy, of fairness. That that's the fruit that should emerge in our lives. That's the light of salvation that should break itself into this dark and broken world. A heart that has uh, known this good news that it's come to it personally. A heart that knows Jesus should be a heart then that lives out uh, its own experience of grace, that lives out its own experience of, of fairness towards us. A heart that is prepared to bear witness to, to the salvation that God brings. That is what John is preparing people for. That is what Luke is setting us up for. And the question is, what kind of sinners are we? Ones that want to remain camouflaging our hearts and, and trying to save ourselves? Or ones that want to come and live under the grace of God provided for us in Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, this passage this morning uh, that Luke has recorded down for us. Again and again we see how you move towards us, that you are the one who provides salvation for us but in this passage we are confronted with um, the warning uh, that we can miss salvation if our hearts want to remain proud if our hearts want to rest in our own self-sufficiency and not recognize our need for salvation so this morning we pray that your spirit would work in us uh, that if we if we haven't come to that leveling ground of our heart that, 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 we would, that we would come there quickly. And we pray for those of us who have encountered that. We, we would, with more and more um, joy, live out our own experience, the mercy shown to us to live out our experience, the grace shown to us to live that out towards others, to be generous, to, to do justice, to, to act kindly. Um, and we give you thanks this morning for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.